attitudes are beginning to change. A stigma surrounding dyslexia. Modeled messages were received the by the brain. Dyslexia. It will not hold you back. Dyslexic. It's kind of you see anything. Dyslexia. Hello, my name's Elizabeth Ariffian. My name is Charlotte Edmonds. And you're listening to Move Beyond Words. In this podcast, we're going to amplify the voices of neurodiverse people and unravel living with the complex and multi-layered label of dyslexia. So we're meeting Lauren McCrusty today. She's an actor, a writer, an activist whose film work includes Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children and The Falling. Lauren has been outspoken about her dyslexia and has written articles citing her experience of working with her dyslexia in the theatrical world. Hi, Charlie. (laughs) Hi. How are you doing? I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, I'm well, thank you. I'm really looking forward to this episode. And I think the main thing that I would like to get out of this is um, I trained in musical theatre and I have previously acted. And so it's really interesting to hear how she embodies her characters. Mm. I think that's the main thing I would like to get out of this episode. What I'm really fascinated to know is her process in how she prepares for a role. Similarly to you, to understand how she embodies a character. And just to add, I'm really fascinated to know what her process is to learn her lines. As someone with dyslexia, I can surely feel there's some anxiety uh, around learning lines and I'd love to know her strategies and her process to learn them. Enjoy our chat with the wonderful Lauren McCrusty. Charlie and I met you at the V&A, where we all gave a presentation on our personal experiences with dyslexia. Yeah. Hearing you speak, Lauren, and seeing your presentation, which included hand-drawn images, was such a personal representation of dyslexia, and we both found it incredibly relatable. Not too long after, we were able to work together. I choreographed a piece within your one-woman show, which you had written and directed at the Lyric Hammersmith. Seeing you in action made me even more excited about getting you onto our podcast. Charlie and I are thrilled to have you, Lauren. I really just wanted to start right at the beginning and to hear from you. When did you find out that you had dyslexia? Thank you. First of all, that's so nice to hear that you enjoyed my presentation. I I really enjoyed doing it and kind of sharing my experience with dyslexia as somebody um, who kind of, I mean, I was diagnosed with it. I don't know. Can you say diagnosed? I was, um, I, I kind of, I took the test essentially when I was, it was actually quite late into my schooling life, which was about, um, 16, 17. It was like when I just started sixth form and to be honest, like it was very strange being like finding out about the diagnosis because it was kind of a mixture of so fearful of not being able to do it right or doing it wrong or not being able to work in the previous ways that I have done. And I, but then I also felt a great sense of relief because it, it did feel like, ah, that makes sense. It makes sense now that, um, why I really liked certain things and I really flourished in certain areas of learning, but then really, really, really struggled in others. And, um, I kind of only wish that it would have been maybe picked up on a bit earlier 
And I don't know if that's my fault for not being more vocal, but can you tell a child to be more vocal about if you're if you're in a system where it's telling you need to write down and you need to copy this and you need to learn this way are you really going to be able as a child as a nine-year-old as a six-year-old going to be able to say oh um I I I don't learn that way (laughs) I don't um can I can I use colors please (laughs) can I have tinted glasses can I um I I don't understand you, you're literally just told you're stupid um, or you're slow or you're just, you know, not able. And that was a real, um, I really suffered with that. And I really, you know, I, a lot of my self-esteem when I was growing up was um, was attached to what I'd, how I perform at school. So I felt a great sense of relief when I did um, get diagnosed. Sorry, that was like such a long answer to your question. You just asked when I was diagnosed. A great answer and and something that, you know, I know Charlotte and I can both relate to. When you found out that you had dyslexia, did you share your experience of, of having dyslexia with others? If I'm honest, I was scared how people would then treat me and then see me and see me as someone who couldn't, and I know this isn't true, but couldn't perform as they could, as, as, as what's normal, kind of like I, I couldn't um, be as good as everyone else because I was dyslexic sort of thing, which is so, it's so stupid, but that's the, that is literally just the conditioning that I had being taught because that's what the schooling system is like that's what it teaches you um you have to learn this way and you have to perform this way to be clever sort of thing um I told a few friends but only if they asked because they knew I was taking the test um and yeah I don't don't think I even told teachers I just kind of yeah I, I was it was quite a big thing for me because it was um right before I was doing my A levels and so it was like, is this going to change things? And is this, is this, yeah, I was really scared about how it was going to impact how I was viewing my work and how I should. And I was like, I'm going to have to transform my whole way of working. And I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to learn how to learn in a different way or learn what, what learn how, what works best for me. It's very strange um, looking back on it, but I think I was just really anxious about it. Um, and so I didn't really want to really fester on it even though I was thinking about it all in my head. I read that you actually studied psychology, history, drama and English for your A-levels and they're all subjects that have a great deal of writing. (laughs) Yes I don't know if I'd do that again um, I didn't (laughs) realise. That conscious Um, decision? (laughs) It was I mean like I said before I would have always been I've always quite attached a lot of my self-esteem to my grades and like doing well in school and so I wanted to pick good subjects but also I like these subjects I liked history I liked English um psychology sort of interested me psychology literally is just like the the A level that everyone does if they're unsure and drama even you'd think oh that's a practical subject that's no writing it's eight, the the course that I did was 80% writing is 80% writing that was actually the longest exam I've ever been in the drama one we had to write I think I wrote in the exam, I calculated um, over 30 pages. I'm not lying. Over 30 pages of A4 paper. This is like moderate sized handwriting. So there's a lot of writing involved. It was a lot of writing, a lot of reading, especially for history and psychology and English, to be honest. And you know the step you make from 
GCSE to A-level is just absolutely huge. Um, and you don't realise, and I was going acclimatising to a new school, which was in a completely different part of London. Like I'd always been five, 10 minutes walking distance from my schools all my life. And then I was commuting into London for an hour back and forth at 6am in the morning um, every day. And I was just, it was, it was so, it was so intense knowing that and struggling with all of that workload and struggling with like, like I said, acclimatizing to a new school, new social circles, um, new cliques and stuff. And it was so much. And then to be told you're dyslexic was like, oh, uh, okay. Um, so what do I do now? Um, it was so confusing. Um, and it was quite scary to be honest, because I was like, I'm going to have to, I know what I'm doing is not working. And that's, that's pretty clear to me now and I know that I'm not working the best way for me but do I have am I going to be able to change the way I'm learning completely Mm. to be able to do perform well in these exams essentially that's what I was so scared about and you know as for somebody like I said who's who 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 really um was put her self-worth on on um on doing well in her grades and in and, and school, that was so scary because you you only get like you only get one chance and you don't and it's not it the most important like thing. That, but yeah. at that most at that time, it does feel like the most important thing. And I was being told that it was the most important thing by yeah. these teachers. And I remember something that like a year leader said, like this is the most important point of your entire life. This is the most important. And I was like, ah, pressure. I don't, I don't so think that's true. Much and it was because obviously they're doing it because they want their students do well because it looks good for them yeah I get that but you don't know that at that moment when you're a vulnerable you know 17 year old person through exploring these um new sort of methods and strategies to learning during that time did you find you had a breakthrough moment where you realized you needed to approach learning in in a different way or did you discover this by yourself or did you have someone that helped um I think the teach, you know, it's funny because my mum always said to me growing up, like, oh, you should use mind maps. They're really helpful. And I did like them, but my friends and nobody else at school was doing them. This was like, you know, when I was 12 or something. Um, And so I was like, oh, they're not, they're not good enough. They're not like, they're not, um, I need, they don't look right. They don't look like they're clever enough sort of thing. Like, it looks too pretty to be work essentially it looks too nice it looks like fun sort of thing but I did feel like I could remember and visualize information a lot better on a mind map Uh, another teacher the teacher who did diagnose me with dyslexia really helped me kind of transitioning and kind of weaning myself off the standardized way of learning and into the more kind of imaginative creative ways and um I think I didn't completely get there when I was um, doing my A-levels throughout the two years um, of, of, of what works best for me, of learning what works best for me. But I feel like now um, I, I kind of know what works best for me. Um, and I think it's very instinctive. Like if I was to get a script now, I'd kind of read over it and I'd like squeeze it for all the information that it has about a character and then I'd research about the character and I'd take notes on it and then um I'd like go through all the lines and I'd go through the lines again and um 
and then maybe if I was going further with that character I'd like look into what she'd be wearing and what shop she'd be and like maybe like go on like an online shopping thing and be like I'm obviously not buying something um <laughs> I can't do this for everything um but like see imagine like what she'd be what she'd maybe wear to like um I don't know like a garden party or something or and then this my favorite thing is I say to myself when I get a part so where I can actually like you know if I if I get the part then um I can go perfume shopping and I um that's what I do I I find a scent that works for the person and then I take that scent with me throughout um like the journey of the filming I'm really fascinated by that I wanted to jump back to when you mentioned smells mm. because I know um some dancers when they're performing a particular character there's various different scenes within the ballet and they've worked with someone to create a scent for them to kind of um, inform the motive behind that character or the mood and you know it could be like a death scene or a love scene or Mm -hmm. you know they're kind of in this meadow and various sort of scents kind of enhance that and it's that kind of all-encompassing approach and it feels like your approach it has that same feeling where you're you're mm. living and breathing yeah I'm trying to build yeah but build the world around me yes. and the best way of doing that especially if you're p- playing someone else is literally create it make it easy for yourself and I think smell is one of them I think it is the most powerful memory in like um prompter out of all of the scents and I know like if I smell and I walk past someone um with a washing who uses the same laundry detergent as my old best friend, I'm brought back to my friend when I was seven years old playing, you know, in her garden and I can smell, you know, that. And it's just so crazy and so powerful. And I think um, it can be really used beautifully to kind of create um, a a different persona or bring to life a persona. Absolutely. And all-encompassing of all your senses I feel is something that is a skill that we have as people with dyslexia you know I think personally I'm very sensitive to sound as you said before and Mm. absolutely use all my senses when creating things and do you see that do you see the crossover there of it being something that is connected to dyslexia yeah I think I mean what was funny about when I was, uh, you know, diagnosed with dyslexia, the teacher would say, oh, um, she would say all of these things like, oh, and do you like your senses? Do you prefer learning through like sounds or do you like, um, can you imagine how things work in your head before they've kind of iterated into a like visualization? So I don't know how to explain it, like a Rubik's cube, like you can, or actually, no, this is a better example. So Ikea furniture, I find that the easiest thing. <laughs> I find that the easiest thing and and some people are like oh it's so difficult and I'm and maybe maybe it's not difficult maybe that's just like a few people have said that but I find it like I can just see it in my head how it works and that kind of visualization creation whatever thing um my dyslexic teacher said yeah no all of these things are to do with dyslexia and it was like oh I thought it was just like part of my personality I thought I was just like I I could just do that sort of thing um but so it, I, I've always kind of used the scents and the smells and the and um, the sounds um, to, to 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 help. Um, just imagine, I guess, and leaning on that through dyslexia, um, or, or um, uh, just 
um, seeing it as that's dyslexic traits has really helped me kind of embrace the the title. I don't, I don't, I find it so difficult to say what it is because it's not a disability. It's just a thinking. It's just a difference. That's it. That's all it is. I'm just, I just think different. We just think different. And once you realize that it's not a bad thing and it's not, a, you know, it's actually quite um, an amazing thing. Um, it's so exciting and exhilarating. And then you learn what works best for you. And you just feel like you've reached your flow and you've met like what really helps you produce good work and the work you want to produce. I think one of the main struggles I feel sometimes is I can imagine something amazing in my head and I just want to create it. Yes. Um, and vo- the hardest thing is vocalizing it totally. to someone. And I just want to be like, I just want a USB in my forehead and I just want to <laughs> put it into your forehead and I just want you to understand. So Lauren, this brings us really nicely into a feature that we do in the show. We ask our guests to bring on and showcase an item that represents, aids or embraces their dyslexia in some way. It's basically like show and tell at school. It's my favourite thing. Yes. I know. So this is my, I wanted to just grab a handful, but it's my colouring pens. I love these. I actually have a bigger selection, but these are, um, these are some nice ones that I got from a friend actually. And um, I just love colouring pens. I think it's so fun because you can do so much with them. You can make, I'm a bit of, um, I, I quite like making neat and nice things as well. So you can like color code things and, but also just like draw nice pictures on mind maps or um, on like scripts and things and make nice notes. And I think it's just such a fun and creative way of doing things and adding life to the work you're doing. And I think that's one of the things that really helped me. It's like, you should be learning because you want to, and you should be learning the subjects that you're interested in. I get like, you have to learn a basic knowledge, but like, you know, when you're picking your grades and picking at what you, what work you want to do, you should really enjoy it. And I think adding color is always so much, it's so enjoyable. It's such a um, simple act to do for yourself, um, but really can, and I'm not, I'm not just talking about dyslexics, I'm talking about anyone, but definitely for dyslexia, it's helped me um, kind of, go full Monty and go crazy with like my um my creative learning process I guess yeah yeah finding out I'm dyslexic has definitely increased my stationary bill but that's fine (laughs) it's all in the credit of learning (laughs) yeah I love that I'm I'm a massive highlight highlighter fan and post-it notes yeah I use colors a lot just jumping back a bit um or jumping forward a bit into your career as an actress um you landed your first role in the film The Fall In mm. and I read that you had no formal acting experience was that daunting and did you have someone supporting you whilst filming I'm quite into the law of attraction and I feel like as soon as I started to say that I wanted to be an actress and I committed to changing schools and going to a kind of um a better connected school um it things just it, it just it just I don't know well this 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 audition popped up and I thought it was an audition for just like background extras um 
in this film. And I was like, I'll try, I'll just send the video. And I didn't really understand the process of self tapes because I didn't really under, like, and they're very professional now, like really good lighting, really good setup. You have to do like, hi, my name's Lauren McCrusty, my agent is, I'm 5'5", and you have to do like profiles, all this. Now it's so professional. Before, the that I started dancing on this self tape. Like I didn't realize it was like, you had, I just was like, hi, my name's Lauren. I live in London. Um, and I, I, I was genuinely just like doing it because I was so excited. And I was like, yeah. And I look at my sister and my dad and my mom and yeah, just really like acting. Um, hope to hear from you soon. Bye. And she was probably, I don't know, the casting director. She's so lovely. She was like, she was probably thinking like, she's a nutter. She's an absolute nutter, but whatever. They saw something in me and I got that part. And I guess I was just so, I was just so shocked, but then also so happy and also like, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. I just want to suck it all in. I think I was so excited about the whole process that I kind of didn't register the nerves as much as maybe I would do now. Um, and also I was part of a group of girls who were performing in that film, who were all in the same situation as me, who all didn't have acting training. So it felt very safe. And also the whole crew was very female dominated and um, the director, Cara Morley, is just the nicest human in the world. And she was just so supportive and so um, welcoming and, and really hospitable to, I guess, the filming environment. Did you learn to use your dyslexia as an aid in your acting? Definitely. Um, through so many different ways. I think I really started doing it on my um, Tim Burton. Yeah, it was my Tim Burton shoot um, when I played the role of Olive. And that was because I knew it was going to be quite a big um, chunk of my life. And it was essentially like I didn't have any other distractions. Like this was my, this was a job now. When I was doing my first film, I was doing all my A-levels at the same time, which was a whole other mind game. Like I can't believe I still did that as well as like doing a film. I was like traveling to Oxford, like, oh God, it was mad. Um, and, but for my Tim Burton shoot, I was like, I properly went into kind of dyslexic and embraced learning in my way. And I didn't realize I was properly leaning on um, my dyslexia and my embracing my dyslexic way of learning um, until until I'd kind of already done it. So I was like, um, for, for research, I'd, I'd like um, watch all of these different films where there'd be someone who had, um, I think it's called a pyromaniac, someone who sets a light, who likes to set alight things because my character had the power of setting things alight with her, with, um, with touch and, I, I got my friend to make me a playlist um, of songs that I thought would help me get into the movements of the character. And I went perfume shopping and um, I created, I had like, oh, I don't have it here, but I had a little book um, and it had like a little diary of all these things that she liked doing. And, um, and yeah, I got into a really good routine of kind of like listening to the playlist every day before set and um, looking at all my kind of like, prompts and notes and spraying squishing the perfume and um yeah it really helped me it really helped me and like I said like embracing a character and embracing a concept with all your senses and fully and a fully immersively which is such a dyslexic trait um really really helps the whole acting experience because it helps you literally just imagine a world and create a world for yourself 
Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds so immersive. And I imagine when you were playing Olive in Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, working with the two profound dyslexics, Judy Dench and Tim Burton, that must have been such a monumental experience. Can you talk to us about the experience and the similarities and differences you noticed between you all with regards to your dyslexia? I think um, I find it difficult to explain this to people who don't have dyslexia, but I think you might understand being dyslexic yourself. But I do feel then when I speak to other people with dyslexia, I feel like I can move through a conversation much faster if I'm talking about something very specific or very intricate or very, very small or minute, just because I can explain it in such a way which I don't have to go through the hurdle of explaining it how a normal person would understand it. Tim would do this thing where he'd kind of demonstrate and he'd refer to images or things or um, or items which would help me visualize exactly what it was that he wanted rather than it be a very clinical type of thing like a director giving you just look more sad look sadder he'd be like look how you do when xyz sort of thing I did feel like the set was very I mean Tim is very wild and he's so creative and so talented and um everything is very visual and it's it's just incredible like imagine going to his house during Halloween time that's that's how I met him and it was like it was like, this is him in his element. And there was, I'm not joking, you know, um, The Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. So the main character in that, I think his name Jack is something Jack. Um, he is really scary. He's like a head and he looks like a scarecrow and very dead. He had a life-size version of that just staring at me oh in his sitting room. And I was by myself and I was just like, what is happening to me? What, where am I? This is just mad. If I don't get the part, I'll be happy to say I've been to Tim Burton's house. Like, it was incredible. So he is very visual and very creative. And so he really creates an environment um, where you can totally imagine this obscure parallel universe, which obviously so many of his films kind of uh, are set in, um, you know, with random people and Beetlejuice and all these things, like all these wild things. And he really allows you to imagine it and live it. And that, no doubt that's because he he's dyslexic and he learns and he can see and he can work best that way. You know, obviously I can't say that exactly, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. Can you give us an example of how it was different working with another person with dyslexia? I just, I just felt very safe and very um, able to kind of perform the way um, I had or I perf- performed through my dyslexic learning, if that makes sense, like using the smells and the sounds that I'd created and I'd um, attached to the character. And I felt comfortable in even sharing that with him and, and, um, and performing that way through those ways of learning and, and in osmosis, so to speak, um, getting the character into me or getting myself into the character. Um, I felt yeah, but it, I just felt very comfortable. And out of interest, Lauren, um, I know you've got a sister. Mm. Is there, is it, does it run in your family? I don't think so, no. I mean, my grandma, my sister isn't dyslexic, or she hasn't, you know, she, she, she's just law, she studies law. So she, uh, I thought I did a lot of work and reading and writing and 
um she yeah that law is a different ball game I guess um um and my mum is very creative I don't I wouldn't say she's dyslexic um I I don't know anybody else in my family who has dyslexia um I think my grandma once said like oh I have some of that and I was like it's not you don't really get it it's not a piece of salt or something it's not like a sprinkle I have a sprinkle of dyslexia on Mondays and Tuesdays it's like it's a it's a thing or when people say um yeah I can't write sometimes yeah I can't spell I can't spell yeah I'm just rubbish at it I've got some of that and it's like oh really okay there is quite a loose language around dyslexia you've Mm. just kind of said something that has made me want to jump on what you're talking Mm. about I think um and I I mean even at school and even as an adult in in work environments in education in just at a pub quiz sometimes Mm. you know if you had a test result and I know you were speaking about your experience at school and everyone would kind of discuss the the marks that they had got the grades that they got and you were saying you attached yourself onto the grades and that's how you kind of monitored your success mm-hmm. but when I know that when I would sort of kind of discuss my grades with other people they'd say oh that's really good for a dyslexic <gasps> and it's interesting growing up with that kind of language and I think even now I was at a pub quiz uh there was a task like one of one of the rounds to the quiz you had to kind of jumble the letters to create like a celebrity's word, right. a celebrity, yeah, a word, their, their name, sorry. And um, I was like, oh, I'm going to be hopeless at this. I'm really dyslexic. And someone um, who's like a mate of a mate was like, oh, I'm dyslexic as well. I'm, I'm going to be terrible at this. And I was like, oh, great. I've got like a conversation yeah. going. This is going to be lovely. We're going to have a bit of a bonding time. And then um, at the end of the the night, I was like, oh, so to talk to me about your dyslexia. And they're like, I'm not dyslexic. And I was like, oh, but you said you were dyslexic. And they're like, oh, no, I was just, I just meant I'm really bad at spelling. And so this, which is really interesting, but I kind of, um, I just wanted to kind of hear your take on that kind of loose language. Mm-hmm. Do, do you find that you sometimes get that in in your work or? I mean, so many creatives are dyslexic. You find, I think, I, I read a statistic, I, I would be saying it wrong if I, if I imagine, if I said it now, but there was quite um, a large percentage of, you know, it was found that um, people who worked in the arts do have dyslexia in some, of some degree. Um, so I, I find it less so in the industry I'm in, but even just like in general conversations, like you said, like in a pub quiz or something, it's, um, I do find that people drop it and they say things like, oh, I can't spell sometimes or, oh yeah, no, I get my, um, my feet mixed up. And I don't like how people lean on it as, as almost as a crutch to say, this is the reason why I'm not performing well today. This is, this is the reason why I messed up. And they're using it almost as a band-aid to say, oh, I've had an off day. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't feel a hundred percent. And it's like, actually you're then making dyslexia synonymous with, with badness and not doing, not being as good enough. And that's not true. It's just different to what's normal. What's normal. You know, I'm doing the bunny ears quotations. Um, because nothing is normal. Who defines normal? There's something that's been standardized into our schooling system, which we think is normal because that's what everyone's been taught to believe. But um, it's not normal. And everyone works in different ways and everyone flourishes different ways. Um, and that's why we all, um, you know, work in different jobs and perform and excel in different areas of our life. So talking about flourishing, and obviously you are an actor 
Do you feel that um, your experience with dyslexia has helped shape your career in any way? I would say so, yeah. I Well, I feel like I'm able to enjoy the process a lot more because, you know, so much of acting is waiting and occasionally getting a part or occasionally getting audition to do a part, to audition for a part. So it's very far and fleeting. So you have to really enjoy the process. And I think um, my process is so lenient. It's just, um, it has dyslexia so prevalent inside it because of the way that I approach a text um, when I receive a script or an audition or a part or something. Um, I definitely feel like it's helped and um, and helped me um, become get closer to a part and to a, a piece of work, I guess. I think that leads really nicely into this closing question. So what advice would you give to your younger self? And what advice would your younger self give to you now? I think advice that I'd give to my younger self would be to really lean on the mind maps and the colours and exploring and learning through a multi-sensory approach and really embrace learning that way and um, not feel fearful that it's going to be different to everyone else's and don't compare myself to everyone else's because I'm different and that's fine and I learn differently and to get support and speak to people from you know struggling with that kind of anxiety of not being able to be like everyone else and not learning in the normal way sort of thing um and advice my younger self would give to me she'd probably be like have fun a bit more (laughs) don't work so much I don't know that's a very good question um and it's it's so fascinating to hear about the journey that you've been on I can't believe that you were studying all those subjects you also found out at the same time that you had dyslexia and you also got your first acting role yeah (laughs) (laughs) which is an incredible journey what does dyslexia mean to you I think dyslexia is a difference it's not a disability it's not a disadvantage it's just different and being different isn't bad in fact sometimes it's it's just it's better I really like it. And now that I've embraced my dyslexia, I'm really happy that I have. And I'm really happy that I found a new way of working, which I enjoy. And it's not forcing. Um, and it's not forceful. It's not harsh. It's not hard. It's, it just flows a lot easier. And I'm able to enjoy it and, memor- and you know, remember it and, it and for it to um, reap into my mind, so to speak, um, a lot better. And I'm able to learn a lot faster and um, and and happier I guess if that makes sense and it's just once you find your um what method works best for you it's very it's very um empowering as a dyslexic and I think it's a bit of letting you need to do a bit of letting go and then a bit of um kind of stepping into the unknown but you'll see this beautiful rainbow and just like this beautiful field, which will smell really nice and taste really nice as well. You know, all the senses. Those senses and colours are coming back in. always. (laughs) Yeah, I think there's a a lot of learning going on uh, over here and just hearing you say that about letting go and enjoying the process more is absolutely some advice that I could take from you now is that 
it is about the process and not always about the product and that we have to remind ourselves that and that we do do something creative and it's a blessing to to be able to explore that and I just really appreciate your time Lauren and for diving into something that can be quite sensitive and and difficult to dive into and you've done it so effortlessly so thank you so much thank you um it's lovely to speak to fellow dyslexics always um but um even more lovely to speak to two dyslexics I know and respect so much and yeah I'm so excited to see what this podcast will bring and um yeah I'm, I'm really excited What did I learn from this episode? How she approaches all of her work and the amount of depth that she puts into preparing for each of the characters that she's about to play, her writing. I think um, she oozes kind of that, I don't know how to explain it, that colourful, like it's amazing that she brought a pack of highlighters and colours as her um, show and tell because that is literally what she is she's just this vibrant colorful full of energy sort of person and you can see that shining through her approach to her work and her work itself something that i'm taking away from this is and i said it at the end there about the importance of our process as creatives who get lost in that and to not be ashamed of that i think sometimes i feel that I should be working a certain way and I've still got that way of uh, working in school in my head of like I have to be articulate and actually it was so refreshing to her hear her say just how much she gets lost in mind maps and colors and senses and um and also that she struggled you know hearing the journey that she's been on and having been diagnosed at 16 that's also really interesting in that she's had a very different experience to ourselves and and how she managed that so yeah there's there's a lot um there's a lot that I'm processing with that if you have any questions you want answered, please send them to info at movebeyondwords.co.uk and please keep sharing how you move beyond words through our hashtag movebeyondwords. To support the show, please remember to subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever else you listen to your favourite podcasts. This podcast is part of a wider collaboration from the Move Beyond Words team. It is of course hosted by myself and Charlotte MBW's project manager Hannah Gibbs, art and design by Alex Colhan, digital and social media by Gabby Whitehill, original music composed by Tom Parker, and podcast producer Niall Kalini Taylor. This series is funded by Arts Council England.